Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody. This is Howard Fox, and welcome to another episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Our guest today is C. Paul Wooderson. Paul is the author of Memoirs of One Man's Journey Through Time. It's an autobiography that reveals the seemingly impossible things that God has done in Paul's life over 75 years in the heartland of the U.S. Paul Wooderson, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast. So glad you're here with us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Paul, I am also appreciative you reached out to us. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was on a Friday and there was this voice on the other end, just full of energy and vigor. And I thought, I've got to learn some more about this man. And what I'd love, if you could, is share a little bit about who you are, what you have been doing. 75 years in the heartland, that's a lot. And you wrote this book, The Memoirs of One Man's Journey. So let's hear a little bit about that. Okay, well, first of all, I've lived in various parts of the country, but primarily in Missouri, Northwest Missouri, and the Bethany, Missouri area, and here in Kansas City. The purpose of the book really was a result of various things, but primarily a vision I had back in 2011, and it was a life-changing experience. It happened when I couldn't walk except for support like a walker or a cane. For whatever reason, when I parked into the parking lot across 50 Plus Pharmacy, out of the blue, I just said, Lord, I'm going to walk on my own. I get emotional, so forgive me if I do. It's okay. And I walked across the parking lot to 50 Plus. I help. I came back. And when I got back to the parking lot, I had a vision. Now, mind you, I used to think when I say vision, oh, come on, this is hokey pokey. But this was very real. Sure. I, I felt like a shining light came down on top of me, and it felt warm. And, of course, I'm a man of faith. I believe very strongly mm-hmm. that it was an indicator of, you might say, the direct presence of God. And I can't explain it all. Tears came down my face so hard. I got joy. I couldn't even see hardly to walk. But it changed who I am on the inside. Let's talk a little bit about that. So at that moment, back in 2011, in, in December, you were, were just having difficulty walking or not able to walk at all, or somebody had to take you around? Well, I could walk some. I've had, I've had to deal with physical problems pretty near all my life. In fact, I've had two near-death experiences. I was diagnosed many, many years ago with sugar diabetes. Okay. And my feet lost a lot of feeling, mm-hmm. and it got to the place that I had to have something to support me to get around. And even then, I felt like my feet were in the like concrete boots. I had heard of a place in Kansas City that said that, that this possibility could help people like me. And so I started going to that rehab center. Mm-hmm. They told me I had a 60% chance of improvement, but there was no guarantee the improvement would stay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, all this happened when I'd actually been to that rehab center, and I was coming back home here in Independence, Missouri. And this happened, and it, it, it really still seemed like a surreal experience. 
Okay. Now, you stated early on that you are a man of God, faith-based, but this goes a little bit deeper than that. I mean, you have been a minister for quite a while in your career. I mean, 19 years in Kansas City, you were ministering in Chicago, St. Louis, and then hosting at the Siemens Center. So, being in the presence of God, I mean, that, that's as a minister, that's kind of part of your life, isn't it? Well, that's true, but this was something different. Okay. I actually had a vision when I was in college, too, that it was not the same place they experienced, but the emotion I went through was very real. When I was really young, I'm talking about an early teenager. My life dream was to be a concert pianist. The first time I saw and heard Vine Clyburn play the piano, he had just won the Russian competition. And I saw him play, and I was, I was I guess you say, mesmerized. I've always been motivated, not cocky, but I was determined that I was going to be as good as Van Clyburn, if not better. And I worked hard to get to that point. But in, when I was a student at Hamlet Grange Junior College in Nanaimo, Missouri, in the front lawn of the of the college, and so happened to be with my girlfriend who later became my wife, I had a different type of a vision, and while I cannot explain this in so many words, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. Excuse me. Take your time. I apologize. No, that you take your time. No, I don't want to. It wasn't what the Lord wanted me to do. And my world was turned upside down. For many years. I was just as miserable as you get because what I wanted to do and what I realized people that are not out favor with me, I'm talking about particularly Christian, they may not understand this. And that's okay. Right. But what he wanted me to do, I didn't want to do. And this is getting a little bit, maybe a little bit over dramatic. I even threatened suicide. That was, and I, that was how angry I was. I mean, my mom said when I was a baby in the crib, she knew I had musical ability because when the music played, I'd, I'd my, my body swing to the music. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I begged to take pianos. Age six years old, my older brother was a year and a half older than me. I, I, I like the kid about this, but I think there's some truth. When I passed him up on piano, which it didn't take me about a year, maybe, he quit. <laughs> but I, even back then, I was, I was motivated. That's a really good word. I was motivated as best I could very be. And I've always been the kind of person you never do anything perfect. But my choice, when I worked hard to become a concert pianist, well, I never did anything purposely. Oh, I never did do anything perfectly. Sorry. That was my goal. I'm still put together that way. 
Well, music has been a part of your life. I mean, going back and hearing more about your story, whether you're a concert pianist or not, music is, that's been a part of your life. I mean, I've never played an instrument and I'm kind of envious of anybody, especially the piano. I was fortunate in some ways. I got some real breaks. When I was 13 years old, eighth grade, I was invited by the Parsons Junior College Band leader in Parsons, Kansas, to play trombone in the marching band. <laughs> I didn't think much about it. My parents, I think the buttons on their clothes about popped off. They had, the <laughs> the college didn't have a uniform small enough for me. Oh so mama tried to tack them up and they still look like my pants are so baggy and I never could understand it when we did our marching routines whether it's on a football field or a parade the band leader put me on the front row and it looked so funny I was in the middle and you think of a straight line and all of a sudden B shape down <laughs> but also and I don't know how this came about, and I've always wondered. When I was 15, I was invited to become a part of the Inspiration Point Opera Company. Back then, it was known as the Inspirational Fine Arts Colony. And somehow, somebody knew me. I don't know. I was only 15. A lot of the students were older than I was. As I remember, I was the third from the youngest in the company. I played trombone and bands. I played string bass and uh, symphony. And I was a background singer for one of the operas. And even at that point, my friend, and I'm not trying to say I was ready or not, but I'm just sharing with you. Some of the people, they launched their professional careers at that point. Oh, my. I've just been blessed. And I don't over... I, I'm not the type of person that wants to get carried away with thinking up something special. But I was... I started string bass when I was a freshman in high school, and I was an all-stater when I was a sophomore. And on top of that, I was a member of the Midwest Shoe Symphony. You are quite the prodigy. Well, I hate to use the word prodigy, but the Lord blessed me with talent. Most definitely. But I don't kid yourself. I worked hard. Sure. Maybe, maybe this helps. Maybe the audience to understand. And when I had that vision, when I was a freshman in college, and my work, <laughs> my world turned inside out. To this day, I'm not sure I know why. But I do know. Looking back, I did what I had to do. The, the, the book I wrote, The Memoirs of One Man's Journey Through Time, mm-hmm. is my story. There are things that, things that happened in my life that almost surreal. I'm, bi- I'm bilingual. Mm-hmm. I've been, but I've learned Spanish on my own. I still consider myself a student, even though I pastored two churches. But Back in, this may not be the correct order, but I hope I make myself clear. Back when I was in seminary, 
in a student in Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. I struggled still with what the Lord's will was for my life. And one day, I don't know why, I told him, I promised the Lord, I said, look, if you open the door, I'll go through it. And uh, the Lord has a way of letting you know when that door is closed. Mm-hmm. And by, like my brother used to say, brother, you were threatening for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things happened. When I passed the first church, I couldn't even have Spanish. I couldn't even hardly speak Spanish, but I was involved with a mission because I uh, was the pastor of the American-speaking church there, and at night, the Spanish-speaking church there, and I'd be there kind of as a PR person. I was grafted. Anyway, there's just been, I can't say in so many minutes, all the things that happened. When I wrote the book, it was very emotional. I began to realize a lot of things about me and my my father, my family. And I shed a lot of tears. And sometimes I laugh so hard at me, it was ridiculous. <laughs> well, Paul, one thing that comes across, you're passionate. There's a passion here in your voice. There's an emotion, which is good, and honesty, humility. And you, you seem to have been in the right place at the right time a lot just given the, your experiences. And so that look back in those 75 years and imagine the, the lives of the people who you have come across and how you've touched them. And that, that's something to be, I don't know if it's, it's not thankful, it's not grateful, but you make a difference in people's lives. There's a, a saying that kind of like your presence is a blessing to other, to other people. And the fact that you're, you're there with them and, and who you are. And, and that, that says a lot. What in the book, I mean, if there's some couple stories maybe you could share from the book that you think, whether it be humorous or insightful, what would you like to share about more about the book? Okay. Let's, let's, let's go humor. Let's go for the humor part. I like to be a humor now. If I can be. Okay. okay. A couple of quick ditties and you tell me if I, you know, we need to cut off here. But when I was a, kid, elementary kid, and on Grandpa Waterson's farm in the east of Bethany, Missouri, they, they, my Uncle Joel had a, a horse named Coy Caroline. She was a rome-colored horse with a white blaze down on her face, and she was also part thoroughbred. And, oh, she could run like the wind. I was scared to death of her. I had reason to be. Oh boy. I was only about nine years old. She bucked me off twice. <laughs> anyway, I was mesmerized by her. Grandpa would tell me if I asked her if I could go down the bar and get a little feed in my hand to feed her. He'd always say, now, Paul, when you get to the wood gate, you stick your finger through the wooden tooth, you know, through the opening of the wood slash, and you feed Caroline. Well, one day I thought, now, this is ridiculous. I don't need to be scared of that horse. So I decided to climb over the gate and be on her side. Well, here she comes. And you've, you've been around horses. You think they're going to run over you? Well, they stopped right the last session. It seems like okay. I got spooked. I got spooked. 
That horse chased me all the way around that big pasture. At little Stuart Lakes, I had ran as fast as they could. Man, when I got back to Man Gate, I got over that gate and I turned around. That horse was standing on his hind legs, man at me. Suddenly, I realized that horse is smarter than I thought she was. <laughs> then, He's testing you. If, if, if I can, I want to tell that story ahead in Chicago. Okay. I'd gotten a call from the St. Marcus Hospital in Hammond, Indiana, which, as you very well know, is close to Burnham, Illinois. Right. A man was nine. And uh, anyway, we'd had 21 inches of snow that day. I had a hard time getting in the hospital. It turned out the guy died already. So I went over to the house where the wife lived, and I thought I'd get in touch with him. Well, when I went back to my car, there, this young lady was coming from, apparently it was a tavern. By the time I got in my car, she had her body draped over my the hood of the car. And she in a drunken voice, she said, Hey, mister, can I take you? Can you take me to Cayman City? What am I going to do? It's frozen. It's really cold. And the snow was so high, you couldn't even, the roads weren't even plowed. So I let her in. I think I remember hearing about that snowfall. It was like 1973, something like that? Well, it was 21 inches in one day. I think I remember that. And at that time, I think it was a record. But anyway, usually it kind of finished it up quick as I can. I let her in the car, and we took off. I think, if I remember right, that state street goes east and west, uh, kind of on the south end, uh, way be south of Burnham, but uh, goes through Calumet City. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We got in Calumet City. Well, she was so drunk, she couldn't remember where it was she wanted to go. And well, I got real worried. I thought, oh, my goodness. Why one of the church members sees this woman in the car? They don't wonder what's going on. And I thought, I can't take her home. Why spot lobby? She's probably going to divorce me. What the way I'm doing? Well, thank goodness, finally, we got to a place. She thought, yeah, this is it. I was going to witness to her, but she was too drunk. So I gave her a four-spiritual off track. I said, when she sobered up, I'd encourage her to read it. Yeah. Well, the next morning, next morning was Sunday. I was so scared somebody would find out this that they'd think I was up to something. I got before the church and told them what happened. Guess what? I thought they'd have empathy for this poor preacher. They burst out laughing, <laughs> and for a little bit, I want to take my hands and choke everyone in that street. <laughs> anyway, it's humorous. It wasn't so funny then, but it's humorous looking back. Looking back. So in the memoirs, you're basically looking at your life, kind of some of the key moments, and kind of talking about lessons learned and the feelings, whether it's sadness or grief or, or, or humor. You're, you, you've got a little bit of everything in this book. Yeah, there's a lot of things in it. I was getting up, when I was really young, I was getting up. That my mother was told I'm going to die. Mm. There was no hope. They stuck me in a room and a death pistol started. Oh, boy. To this day, no doctor 
can't explain what happened to me. Well, looking back at 75 years, I mean, you, you've, you've had a good life, an interesting life, and I think th- that you probably have left a trail of many people whose lives that you have touched, and uh, I imagine they're, they're pretty grateful for that. Well, I, I don't think of it that way, but again, as you know, I'm a Christian, and the good Lord works in, I, I'll put it this way, mysterious ways. Sure. Things you don't know about, as far as the impact you made on somebody until maybe years later. Mm-hmm. You never know. Before we cut off, I do want you to know, though, I don't like to say I'm 75 years old. I'm 75 years more mature. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I keep getting mature. I, I'm like a good bottle of wine. I keep getting better with age. <laughs> well, I, I'm enjoying talking to you, and I, I want to say to the audience that while our maker is giving us a choice to make our own decisions, I want people to know there is one that will love them regardless of what happens. And would never turn his back on him. And I personally know him in Jesus Christ. Paul, we, we truly appreciate you, those you know, sentiments. And, and thank you so much for contacting us and, and sharing your book and the memoirs of one man's journey through time and sharing a couple of those stories about your life. And we appreciate it. And I think it's important to take a step back and kind of evaluate who we are and the impact we're having. And again, and I say it, you know, only having chatted with you a couple of times is the stories you're telling and just the, the impact that you've had on other people's lives. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And so thank you for sharing that in your book. So hope you enjoyed being on the podcast today. Was it good for you? Oh, I told you ahead of time. I was going to have fun. <laughs> All right. That's good. That's good. All right, folks. This is our interview with author of the memoirs of one man's journey through time. See Paul Wooderson. Paul has led a, an inspirational life and one of growing comfort of who he is, what he has done and just being able to look back at all those stories and being able to share them with with others and that that in of itself is pretty remarkable and so we thank paul for being on the show and hope you enjoy this interview as well so as we say every episode wherever you are whatever you're doing go out there and have a phenomenal day see you on the next episode of the success insight podcast take care success insight is a production of fox coaching and first story strategies Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.